Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I'm so happy and grateful to have Nicole Fitzpatrick with us here today, who's an entrepreneur, program manager, board president. Nicole has taken on many roles in her life, but the most meaningful of them all is a parent to a child with a chronic illness. When her youngest daughter was diagnosed with epilepsy in 2012, Nicole had never encountered this illness before and felt lost on how to help her daughter. Nearly a decade later, she's taking what she's learned along this journey to become an advocate for other individuals and families impacted by epilepsy. Her personal passion and mission is to help others quickly find the information they need and empower them to live their best lives. Nicole continues to search for the most current information and resources available on epilepsy diagnostics, treatment options, mental health, youth to adult transition planning, quality of life, and so much more. Nicole, welcome and thank you so very much for being here with us today. Thank you, Jesse. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and uh, get some information out there to share with others. You know, I've looked at a lot of the people that you spoke with and am so impressed with the quality and caliber. And there's so many people doing great things out there at this point in time. And this exercise you've been doing during the pandemic, I think is phenomenal. I'm honored to be here and be able to to speak with you. So thank you. Yeah, I'm honored to have you. And Nicole, I appreciate you acknowledging that. One of the things that I was, I was sharing with you offline is this whole thing has been really about exercise of trust and, and opening these dialogues up to really cover the broad spectrum of humanity with it and not have it just be channeled to one thing, but really have this be a human experience and going through the, the humanness of it all, which I so appreciate you willing to share today because in my day-to-day life, epilepsy is not something I ever think of. And, you know, other than having the conversation with you, I can think of maybe a couple people I know who have had firsthand experience with it. So maybe we can start there for, because whether someone listening, watching is going through it, they may also know someone and be connected to someone. And maybe we can start there with just kind of defining for everyone what epilepsy is, what the experience is like, and you can walk us through your personal journey with it and your daughter. Sure, absolutely. So statistically, one in 26 people will encounter epilepsy in their lives. Um, Today in the United States, there are about 1.2% of the population has active epilepsy, and that means there's about 3.4 million people. Um, 3 million adults and 470,000 children. In my state alone, I'm in Michigan, in my state alone, there's about 100,000 adults and about 13,000 children with epilepsy. So the chance of somebody you know um, or coming in encounter with that is very high in in your life. So epilepsy is, um, can be a, a range of things. There's lots of different forms and lots of different types, but bottom line, basic of it, it's an electrical charge in your brain and it causes a reaction in your body. Um, so for some people that can be very slight and for some it can be more extreme, which we you know, typically associate with a seizure or an epileptic um, incident, which is where they, they call them the ground mall or the tonic-clonic, which people seize, their head turns and the things like that. Um, so yeah, the statistics are, you know, there are a lot of people out there that are dealing with this. Talk to us about what the daily life is like with the epilepsy. So your daughter was diagnosed in 2012. Yeah. And you and I have talked a few times now, so you've shared with me personally some of the challenges, what that's like 
I think it'd be helpful to walk somebody through, well, two reasons. Number one, I think there's going to be people on here who can empathize and understand. And it's, I mean, I think all of us know when you are struggling, you're going through a challenging and difficult time. One of the most helpful things is to have that sense of connection and feeling like you're not alone to hear somebody and, and hear them and then know that somebody else gets it. The second thing too, is I think for just point of reference for folks, because if we're not having a firsthand experience of it, sometimes we don't know what it's really like. And then it, the good hearted, willing people to help, we may not be able to direct the energies of our good hearts and our willingness because we just don't have that personal connection, connecting us to it. So if you could just kind of go a little bit for us, what it's like a day in your, uh, maybe a day in the life is like with being a mom, daughters with epilepsy, and then that way we can have some context for it. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so she was seven years old when she was diagnosed. Um, the first time that it happened at seven, she was actually in the shower and she had the, the full um, tonic-clonic, the grand mal that you, um, are, you, know, you see in the movies that people talk about. Um, luckily, my husband was nearby and he heard something unusual, so he was able to get in there and catch her. Um, so that's very traumatic. Number one, um, to be in the shower. Um, and number two, to have something happening when you don't know what, what's going on. Um, so a day in the life after that happened, they started happening, um, they would happen multiple times a day, or you mm -hmm. might go days without it. So it's the unpredictability of not knowing when and where something's going to happen. So for her, in our experience, um, there was no certain time of day, there were no triggers, there was nothing we could nail down that was a cause for her. So that left this wide open, it could happen at any point, anytime she's on the stairs, she's riding a bike, she's, you know, anything that you could be doing. So it makes you very cautious. Um, you know, the stress level, as I'm sure you can imagine, was very high. Um, so yeah, they've ha they happened at school, they happened in front of other people. So we tried to really get ahead of it and be very proactive in talking to the school and talking to the, the classmates and talking to the parents and making sure everybody understood. Because one of the things, like you're saying, people don't know necessarily what to do. Um, and so making sure everybody understood what it was and then how to handle it and try and um, respond and take care of somebody in that instance. Um, so one of the best things you can do for people like that in that situation, they're going to fall and trying to help them and make sure that they don't get injured in the fall, um, keeping them on their side, not trying to hold them down or block them. I mean, they don't swallow their tongue. That's one of those um, myths that's out there. Mm. Just keeping them on their side, protecting their head because if they're moving, protecting their head is very important. And then timing of it to make sure that um, it doesn't go too long they're not breathing at the point in time that they're having a seizure typically. Um, so if it starts to get close to five minutes, which some of hers did, you definitely want to seek um, medical attention. So those are some things we tried to educate people on and make sure that they were prepared um, because it is also very, um, as a parent, we respond and how to react. So those are some of the things we do. Nicole, I'm curious, how do you parent to that? And I, I, let me give context for that ask. As I've gotten older, I've noticed I've gotten more risk adverse or risk conscious. I'm not climbing on stuff, jumping off of stuff, doing all those things I would do as a kid. 
But as a kid, I'm doing it with full trust in my body, not really considering all those types of things. And I'm really curious. I can imagine how challenging and difficult it would be as an adult. I actually think about that sometimes. Like, gosh, what would I do if I fell and hit my head and what could happen from that? And then I'm thinking of you having a young daughter, seven years old when this happens, at the age where she's climbing, playing sports, doing all those things kids do, running off, you know, whatever it is, and then worrying. I imagine the seizures are are scary enough, but then even worse would be that what could be the consequences of the seizure? She falls, she hits her head, and then has a whole other host of problems. How do you begin to parent to that? Like, how do you and your daughter communicate around those kinds of risks? And, and is there things that she physically has to really be conscious of and mindful and not you know, doing because the risk for her is so much greater than the, the average child? Yeah, um, there was a great period of time. She's an avid horse rider. She loves to ride horses. There was a period of time that um, I was very fortunate in that I was able to find some farms in the area that specialize in dealing with children with chronic illnesses and special circumstances. So she was able to ride with sidewalkers. So people walked alongside her while she would ride in case mm. anything should happen. Um, but there were definitely things like she didn't ride a bike for years. Um, she didn't swim for years. Um, there were things that she couldn't do um, at a point in time, which was the hardest thing, at a point in time where she was trying to build her independence, we had to kind of rein that in a little bit and keep her um, a little bit closer to home. I mean, sleepovers were kind of a problem. So we tried to encourage people to come to us as opposed to sending her someplace else um, where the kids might get together. We live in a small town, small town America, get together and walk downtown to get ice cream. Um, that wasn't something I was willing to let her do. So we tried to say, we'll have people over. We try to get creative, have people over, and we'll take people to go do something. Um, we won't be like hovering right over you, but, you know, trying to keep it safe and keep it enjoyable for others as well. So, um, yeah, there were definitely some challenges along the way. And I have other friends who, um, I have a good friend. Um, her daughter is an avid swimmer and she competes and she still competes. Um, she said, this is a part of her and this is her life. So we take as many precautions as we can and let them still try and live their best life. But it's doing it with the knowledge um, and as many uh, safety things that you can put in place as possible. Do you have any advice to parents, you know, maybe practices for the parents who are, who are beginning to engage in those conversations with their children about you know, the risk piece, what you can and can't do. The ice cream is such a wonderful example because I think about what a simple joy that is for kids in a small town or for anyone for that matter to be able to go walk down and say ice cream. I think that's one of the reasons you live in small towns, right? Is because you have right. the ability to do that. You, you don't go right. and do that in New York, but you can do that in small town. Right. And to not be able to do that because of the potential risk of not some sort of external circumstance, but because there's there's this illness that happens. She has no control over it. You have no indication when it's going to happen and it could be catastrophic for her. So for parents who are beginning on this journey, who are, or maybe they're on this journey and they're beginning to have these conversations with their children. Uh, do you have any advice guidelines about how they can begin those conversations, how they can begin to, to communicate with amongst one another, but to communicate to their children and, and make it, you know, one of the things I heard in there sound really powerful was, you were trying to frame it in a way where it wasn't about hovering, 
but it was around trying to create, come up with really creative opportunities so she was still able to have as similar experience as possible, but just in a safer manner. And I imagine for a lot of parents, because of their own fear, their own uncertainty, their own stress, the tendency is going to be to want to hover, to try to mm-hmm. smother and get closer and closer, which inevitably is going to probably lead to the child pushing away and then having some sort of rebellion with it because they want their independence, especially now I think your, your daughter is a teenager now. Yeah. And I imagine so there's a this very delicate line with that. So if you could talk to maybe parents right now and just kind of lay out some of your best parenting practices that you've learned about how to communicate, how to begin conversations with one another, with their children about, about this. Yeah, I think it's a matter of um, speaking to their level. And I think you do that as a parent on many topics, right? I mean, there's definitely safety with strangers, safety with um, trick-or-treating as we're coming up on Halloween, safety with friends, safety with friends' parents. I mean, so you always talk to them at the level that they're at. Um, So that's what we did um, and really just made sure she understood the risks um, for her, because she was having these, um, I call them grandma, grandma seizures, they're blackouts for her. She calls them her blackout episode. So she doesn't remember anything. Well, mm-hmm. throughout the process, medication changed that. So she would have different instances and different types of seizures where she was actually cognitively aware of what was happening and her body was doing things that she couldn't control. Wow. And so as that started to happen, um, she understood more the importance about what really the impact could be. Fortunately, it happened when she was a little bit older, so she was a little bit more mature and ready to to deal with that because we had also modified some things along the way. Um, You know, I think people's fear of what could happen prevents them from talking, but the fear still exists. Like she had said to me, and faith was a big part of our life. Faith is a big part of our life. And faith is a big part of what gets us through. Um, so she had asked me once, you know, why do you think, well, she, first I was putting her to bed and she said, mom, if you could talk to Jesus, what, what would you ask him? And I said, I, I don't know. What would you ask him? And she said, why he gave me seizures. And I mm-hmm. said, you know, I don't know that we'll know that answer, but I can promise you it's, he's going to use it for something for good. And so those types of things helped us. And I know we can't see it now, but I do believe all these things happen for a reason and and make us stronger or teach us a lesson or help us learn skills or help someone else who's going to go on and do something else, have that experience. So I, I do think that there's a benefit there and a goodness there that comes out of it, even in the hardest of circumstances, which it was very hard. It is very hard to have a child with epilepsy. Um, but yeah, speaking to them where they're at, I think that's the key. And, and it has grown and it has transitioned. So as she became a teenager, um, she loves Disney. And as she becomes familiar with those Disney characters, Cameron Boyce was a, a very favorite actor of hers who died from epilepsy. And so the thought is there, am I going to die from this? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things that are going on for them that we don't even see or necessarily. So what, what I guess my point before was there's a fear there and we have to talk about it because the fear exists. And if we don't, then they suffer alone. And that's not what anyone wants. Talk to me about community and connectedness. You, we had talked a little bit before and you were saying one of the biggest challenges with this illness 
is not just the seizures, not just the unpredictability, unpredictability, but not just the fear and the fear of acknowledging that there's a very real chance that you could, could kill you. But there's, it's so isolating, isolating for those who are suffering, isolating for the caretakers of it. Talk to us a little bit about community and connectedness. So I think um, there's so much stigma around epilepsy and people who have it don't want others to know because of the stigma. It's affected people in their jobs and, and some of that. So I think it's our job and it's one of the things and the reasons I do want to talk about it is to remove that stigma and it's just another life condition. We all have different things. Um, none of us has promised another day. So it's removing that, that stigma and giving us opportunities and finding opportunities to talk about it. So you first have to be willing to talk about it and step out into it. Um, there weren't a lot of opportunities to do that when we were first starting. I think those um, things are building, like the foundation, the Epilepsy Foundation, there's a national and they have foundations in most states, I think if not all states, um, has been a great resource. And we just this summer started a parent group um, where we meet once a week and we talk via Zoom and talk about what's going on and share ideas and share questions and so those are very important opportunities. Um, one of the things I'd really like to see happen for youth, there's um, some connected activities for younger generation or the younger, I'd say like seven to 12, they focus on, but the teen years. Um, so one mm -hmm. of the things I've been talking to the Michigan Foundation about is how can we build a connection for the teens and give them an opportunity to talk and feel normal. There is um, a great resource here in Michigan as well. It's called North Star Reach. It's a camp. It was started for children with, that had experienced transplants because a lot of the symptoms and things that are happening for people with chronic illness, it's not just epilepsy, but chronic illnesses. Um, North Star Reach does a camp every summer um, for kids of all varying chronic illnesses. And so she was able to go to camp for a week. Um, actually, I think it was five days, four days, but experience a normal camp and have all the safety precautions put in place um, for her to do that. So those are newer things that are happening. Um, and so those things are expanding, but then again, it's finding them and making sure people know about them. So it's a challenge to get out to people because they're trying to survive. They're just in their day to day like I would go to work, you know, luckily I had uh, a mother at the time who would be there to help me with her during the day, um, take her to school, pick her up from school. But um, every day was just survival and people are in that. So it's trying to reach them where they are. And that's why um, I'm, I feel really driven to try and get it out there and connect with people and try and help them understand what resources. And if they don't have a resource, help them build a resource, help them start a community or help be a community for them. So those are some things that I'm hoping that will come. For those of us who have friends, family members who are suffering with epilepsy and or struggling with epilepsy or you know, whatever degree it is for them, and we're not the immediate caretaker, like you're, yourself, but they're a friend, they're a family, they're in our community. What, what can we all start doing? What is, what is, and where is there an opportunity for us to begin to help? I think it's a matter of um, acknowledging our own fear first and then being willing to step into it anyway. 
um, you know, unfortunately for us in our experience um, in elementary school, when this started, the families were afraid and they actually withdrew and they actually told their children, you can't play with her anymore. She can't come over and you can't go there. So that, uh -huh. um, that created a whole different set of issues for us. But um, so I think it's, it's understanding the unpredictability, but being willing to step into it anyway. Um, and to talk to the, talk to the individual or talk to the parents um, about what's going on and ask them, you know, how can we help you? How can we participate? Um, I would have loved, Oh, sorry. I would love for somebody, that's okay, to just come in and sit with us and come visit and come spend time with us at our home because we weren't going out and doing mm -hmm. a lot of things. So it's, it's going to them where they are, I think, and just having a conversation and not being afraid to have that conversation. What was it they were afraid of, Nicole? Was it they were afraid of something happening to her on their watch? Was it they were afraid that something happened? I mean, in California, they always joke about California being the most sue-happy state there is. Is it, is it a liability thing? Is it just, it's an unknown, like something they don't understand. And so they're trying to hide from that. Was there like a common theme of fear going through them? Yeah, I think it's that common fear of um, being responsible for somebody else, mm. somebody else's child, which, which I understand, which is why we tried to be the one, you know, come into our home. We'll yeah. Come here. We'll entertain. We'll let the kids run around um, and take responsibility for our own child. So, but it, it has to be, um, people opening their hearts and being willing to step into that. Nicole, before I ask my final question, where can people find you and connect with you online? So I started a Facebook page. It's called Heart Centered Advocacy. Um, it's on Facebook. And then I also have uh, an email account, heartcenteredadvocate at um, outlook.com. So again, I'm I'm starting to create, I created a list of resources for people who are just starting down this journey, um, trying to build a community of, of people being able to ask questions and um, share information. So that's my hope is that we can help uh, support you where you're at and help people live their best lives. I, I mentioned I had one question. I'm going to ask you two final questions, if that's okay. Why heart-centered? I'm really curious. Why heart-centered advocacy? Um, that is how I've approached life. And as a manager in my life, people have always told me I'm very much heart-centered and a servant leader. And um, there is nothing that touches my heart more than my child. And um, and these people who are who are struggling in the same way that we have. Final question, Nicole. Looking back over the last eight, nine years of this journey with your daughter, what is the one thing you wish you would have known that you know now? What is the one thing you wish you would have known at the beginning? And if you would have known it, how would you have begun to implement that early on in the journey with your daughter? So I think um, options, to understand mm. the options. Um, to understand we had a very bad experience with um, a doctor, number one, a medication that she had a severe uh, drug reaction to. Um, and then number two, a doctor at a point in time where she had been seizure free for four years, forcing us to go off medication, which took us back into a very dark place for about eight months. 
Um, so knowing that you have options and that you as a parent can advocate for your child. And even though the doctor is telling you something, you can say no, you can get a second opinion and where to go to find those second opinions. So options, I think would have been something that would have been very powerful for us. Nicole, I'm, I'm going to break my word with you now a third time, because I know I said one question to ask you too, but that, that bears one more question, because I think it's really important. How does one begin to, how does one begin to recognize, and I'm going to give context to this, recognize that they have options or to be able to challenge what a doctor is saying, because I think in our society, hierarchically, doctors are usually put on the very top of that hierarchy of the, the premier authority and I think very traditionally we're taught that in many ways, you know, what doctor says, they are the source of information. They, they are the all knowing whatnot, whether that is, is deservedly so that responsibility to them or not. I don't want to, I'm not trying to debate that, but what I am trying to suggest, and this is where I'm wildly curious what you, with what you have to say about it is I can imagine for a lot of people I've struggled with this is going into a doctor's office, sitting there, and then the doctor comes out and says, okay, this is it. And then there's just this, this immediate acceptance. Okay, well, that's it. And then because the doctor said it, I've decided it's true. And I walk out and that's my experience from there. In, so I'm curious for you is how did you begin to get to that place where you're able to challenge what the doctors are saying, we'll be able to look at other options, be able to maybe challenge that programming that many of us have societally that just because they're saying something doesn't mean you have to accept it and then empowering yourself so others can empower themselves to go and look and explore those other options. So information is so important and knowing where to go to get the information. There are a lot of sources out there. Um, and that's why I feel so strongly about just breaking down. Here's some basic pieces of information you need to know in the beginning. What is epilepsy and what are all the different things? And then, once you educate yourself on those, you can go in and have uh, a better conversation. You can go in with a list of questions. You can go in and understand maybe what some of those options are ahead of time. So once knowledge, knowledge and information and having a good resource and place to get that, because it can be overwhelming. I mean, I spent hours, I mean, we're talking now, it was, you know, a decade ago and a lot has changed since then. Um, a lot of time researching and trying to find a place to just give me some of that information and it just wasn't as readily available. And now there is a lot of information out there, but there's so much. So how can you scale that down and just take in instead of drinking from the fire hose, as they say, how can you take in what you needed at a little bits at a time to help you because it is completely overwhelming and it changes your life forever. So um, yeah, I think, information is power. And once you start to have that, then you can go in and ask some questions and feel empowered to advocate for your child and yourself. Everyone, there is so much in here that is worth rewatching and re-listening. You know, statistically, it's one in 26 that somebody's going to have ep epilepsy, which means that statistically, there's a very good chance that we know someone or someone we love and care about knows someone who struggles or suffers with it. Even if you fall in that rare category where you may be able to excuse yourself from the table of not knowing someone who does, the odds are that you are going to know someone that suffers from some sort of chronic illness that's going through. And one of the things I think is really beautiful for this conversation Nicole laid out is why the context we referred to was epilepsy. 
she she acknowledged chronic illness several times in it, and I think that's appropriate for all of us to consider because what she described is not just the challenge of her and her journey with her daughter and epilepsy, but it's also the journey that many folks will go through with epilepsy. There were several times in some of what she shared, I found myself reflecting back to the journey with my friend John as he went through ALS. And similar as matters of safety, as he's losing function over his body, worried about him falling out and hitting himself, worrying about him hurting himself when he's not around, falling when somebody's not there, tripping because he's not able to control his body. He's trying to tell his body to do something, but it doesn't respond. So my heart goes out to you, Nicole, for what you've been through and to everyone else who is going through that with a loved one right now. And I think that <clears throat> what Nicole really talked about for all of us is a few key things that we could all take, take into consideration. That community and connectedness piece, she hit the nail on the head. And for me, the most powerful part of this was when she was saying that a lot of people, when she would explain the situation, would excuse themselves from the table because they were afraid of the unknown and they didn't want the responsibility. I think all of us can understand that, right? There's the, what is it? In self-defense school, they tell people don't scream help because people run away, scream fire because people will come running. And with fire, for most of us, we have this idea in our head that it's something tangible that we can control. It's not going to just jump from there to get us. And when we go into these unknowns, our minds can create really scary and strange scenarios. And we don't like the creatures or humans are creatures of comfort. And we often try to avoid comfort at all costs. And so we try to find comfort at all costs and avoid the uncomfortable. But remember what the person on the other side who's inviting you in might be going through. That could be your friend, that could be your family member, that could be your loved one. And if they're able to do it, you can be able to venture into that unknown and be able to be safe and supportive through it. And the idea of just how meaningful it would have been to them for someone to come by and just sit with them, to give them some sort of sense of normalcy. And I think that's a really powerful takeaway from this is oftentimes when people are going through the things that we don't understand, in our minds, sometimes we make that seem like it's broken, it's, it's not safe for us, and we, we create distance, and we think that maybe what they're asking is so out, of, so out of realm of comprehension for us, but in reality, what they're really looking for is they're looking for the same opportunity and normalcy that you and I get to have every day. And maybe if you take away one thing away from today, there's lots to take away, but maybe you take one thing away from today, it is is reach out to that friend, family member, loved one who's going through some sort of, but somebody with epilepsy, it's somebody who's going through some sort of chronic illness. And see if you can stop by and have that conversation with them today. See if you can stop by and ask them some deeper questions and, and talk to them, apply some of what Nicole shared today. See if you can go deeper than you have before beyond just how's it going and what's been going on and what do you think of the debates. But go a little deeper and, and just check in, see how they're feeling and what you can do to support and help them, how you can support them with what they have going on. And you'll find that I think what I was so surprised about today and probably many of us will continue to find is they're not asking for the moon. Nicole wasn't asking anything extravagant from any of us. What she was actually inviting us all to do is something as simple as of treating somebody normally it's something that's within all of our power to do. So Nicole, this has been such an insightful, eye-opening and heart-centered conversation with you today. I'm so grateful and I'm so very grateful that you are honoring this path that you have been put on and you're really leaning in to help and become an advocate for those who need it and getting information out there to support others going through this. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Jesse. I really Thank appreciate you. it.
Thank you. We will see you next time, everyone, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Goodbye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to